Hi there, it's Lisa Schumann from the Center for Family Building. I'm just popping in really quickly to say hi and to welcome you to our new podcast. It's called Building Your Family, like my book, and we wanted to share all of the ways the modern family is built. And although donor conception conversations is still going to be going on, we're going to do a lot of episodes about donor conception, and you will always be able to access the videos. We understand that the modern family is built in many ways. So we will be talking about egg freezing and fertility treatment and surrogacy and all kinds of subjects with very exciting guests. So I can't wait for you to join us. Okay, now to the episode. On today's podcast of Building Your Family, we have a special guest, Tara Lipinski. She, as you know, is a gold medalist, but she also has a fantastic podcast of her own called Unexpecting, where she shares her own fertility journey, and she is so incredibly open and vulnerable and shares so much of everything she's been through, and she has been through so much. So please listen. This is an incredible episode. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Welcome to Building Your Family. This podcast is about donor conception, surrogacy, fertility treatment, and all the ways the modern family is built. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm your host. I'm also a researcher, a therapist, and an author, and I am passionate about helping people have an easier path to parenthood. And my guests and I are going to do exactly that on this podcast. We are going to show you the tools and the truths that you need to have an easier parenting experience and a better journey to parenthood. So today I have a special, special treat for you. Tara Lipinski is here. I cannot even believe it myself. My palms are sweating. She is just so amazing in every way. Not only is she the best skater on the planet, but she is in my mind and heart, somebody who's especially incredible because she does so much. And I want to just quickly say three things and then I'll introduce her. Number one, I think it's so amazing that she's using her celebrity platform to help so many people out there in the world. And we'll talk about that, how she's doing that through her podcast, Unexpecting, but also on social media and everywhere she can, including here. Secondly, I think you will see that her experiences and struggles are really what people need to hear because they are almost like magnifications of what we all go through in fertility treatment. We all have these sorts of experiences. And Tara, of course, being a celebrity, has them in kind of a more extreme way. And I think that's so helpful for people to hear because it really can resonate with them. It really can help them understand it better. And number three, as you will hear in her podcast, which blows my mind every time I hear it, she is so humble. She talks about her struggle, but also understands how people feel in different circumstances. As we know, and we've talked about on this podcast, there's research that shows that people who go through fertility treatment can have the same levels of depression as chemotherapy patients. And she often says, I know I don't have cancer. I know I'm, I feel fortunate that I could pay for this treatment. I mean, her groundedness and humbleness and her feelings. You absolutely need to watch and listen to her podcast because you will be really amazed. So that is in a nutshell what I wanted to say. And now I want to just welcome you, Tara. Thank you so much for coming. And um, maybe we can start by talking about your podcast and how it started. 
Yeah. So we started the podcast this year after a long five-year journey that we had currently been on through infertility and pregnancy loss. And I had not spoken about our journey or IVF or our infertility struggles or pregnancy loss at all publicly before we did this podcast. And I think in the beginning, I just wasn't really able to share that Mm -hmm. even with some close friends. And I think that a lot of people in the community would be able to relate to that. And I think it's something that if you never want to share your story, if you never want to talk about it, then you should never talk about it. But, you know, for me at the time, that's how I felt. I didn't feel that I was able to cope with the current emotions and getting through treatment while also sharing my story quite publicly. And I've been in the public eye my whole life, so I've shared a lot. So it was very interesting to keep this part of my life almost secret for so long. And I think, you know, by the time we were reaching that five-year mark, I didn't care as much to keep it secret. It was harder to keep things secret. The amount of treatments I was doing, the way that I was working through all of this and felt like I had to be, you know, this one persona on TV and happy while inside you know, going through a miscarriage or struggling deeply with our journey, it just felt at a certain point that juggling those two lives didn't make sense and that we were just going to open up and share what we had been through. And we did. We did it through uh, a podcast and we did it in our own way, which was really nice that we were able to do it just the two of us. It was us telling our story. And I think for For Todd and I, we wanted to do this podcast also just as a documentation for ourselves, for our family. And in a way, it was it was really healing for the two of us to to go back through our own story and tell it. And we've loved it so much that we're now continuing the podcast every week with either just the two of us, um, which we've done some episodes, which has been really great. We've done one with my doctor. We're inviting other people on that have been in through infertility or loss or just are part of the community to tell their stories. So it's really been one of the more exciting projects that I've personally got to do. And now to be able to do it with my husband is really special and also one of the most rewarding as I'm able to connect with all of these people in the community and you know bond over this shared experience we have. It's amazing. It's amazing. And when you started, you started this with a fake name on social media, right? And it, and I think you said on your podcast, it sounded like, or maybe Todd said, it sounded like a sex worker. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Storm 2018 yeah. was my, my fake account on Instagram. I think uh-huh. I still have it, but now it's too hard to juggle all of these Instagram handles between the podcast and my own. Right. But that was you know, a huge resource for me to use and to be able to find people that were going through similar journeys. And even though I wasn't interacting with them because it was just a fake account, I was able to feel connected and feel not so alone. Now it's really nice that I am speaking publicly on it and to to be able to interact with the infertility community and the IVF community has been really, really special. That's amazing. And I think that most people can understand that because I think a lot of women who are working women who have success at work and then they meet their partner and they say, okay, this is, I've met Mr. Right. And you also had, you know, your wonderful dog who you love so much. And you felt like there's so many things in your life that are working out. And then all of a sudden you hit this huge roadblock and your, your life, Tara, is 
obviously an exaggeration of that because, you know, you won a gold medal, which nobody does except for you. And so, of course, it probably feels even more surreal when you have infertility because how could that happen, right? Everything you've worked so hard and been able to succeed where nobody else on the planet has. Well, that was probably one of the biggest lessons I learned through this this journey was that no matter how hard you work at something or time or effort or money that you put in, mm-hmm. this is a medical diagnosis. IVF, there's no guarantee that you'll walk away with a baby. And it's a it's a hard realization to confront, especially when it feels like it's going on for years or that there's no answer or you can't find the answer or there's just failure after failure. And it just puts you in a very in you know, anxiety-inducing state where you're almost in this fight-or-flight feeling. Yes, yes. And it keeps you there until you either move on or you find answers or, you know, we moved on to surrogacy, which brought us out of that hamster wheel finally. But it, it is really life-altering to to go through these types of journeys. But there were so many places where I think a lot of people could say, I can't take it, right? I mean, you're, you hit one roadblock and you have, you've had so many surgeries. I mean, I, 24 times under anesthesia, I think you said. Yeah. I mean, I can't even believe what you've endured. It's so much. And I know having been through it personally myself and seeing thousands of people going through it, it often feels like, how can one more thing happen? And I can't do it. And then you somehow found the strength to take the next step and then had the next hurdle. Yeah, it really feels like a cruel joke, you know? And I say this on the podcast because I know that infertility is not the worst thing to happen to anyone. And of course, our journey is not unique to ourselves. There's so many people going through it. But I think any medical diagnosis like infertility can be... I say it all the time, life changing. And for me, five years of going through all those surgeries, of going through so many failures, you feel like you are experiencing deja vu in a way that doesn't make sense. Because of course, there are many people that struggle with infertility or pregnancy loss, but there's also a huge you know, part of the population that gets pregnant easily. And you see everyone around you getting pregnant, yes. having babies and successful pregnancies. And you feel like, somehow specifically you were chosen to walk through this horrific nightmare. And when you have one failure, you think, okay, well, the next time maybe we'll be on the right side. And then when it just starts happening for consecutive years, you really start to feel like you're losing your mind. Do you start to feel like this is some, like I said, cruel joke that how possibly, what are the odds or how could this be happening? But I always say that about IVF and even just going through a cycle. It is really Murphy's law. If anything can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. You're going to ovulate through your shot. The medication won't show up. It's just always something because there's so many moving parts and it's not an exact science. But I just would sometimes laugh to myself of, how can this be real life? How can this just keep happening? Yeah. And how do you get to that mindset? Because you go into each cycle thinking, okay, this is going to be it. And as you talked about on the podcast, there were so many times where you said, okay, this is going to be it. And you also had pregnancy tests where you had success and you thought, okay, this is the end. Phew. Like we can go back to having a life now. And then it wasn't. That is the hardest part. You know, that's probably for me, the most triggering, traumatizing part of it all is getting positive, you know, being pregnant four times. And 
going through the stages where people would see a positive pregnancy test and know that something worked and be excited and move on to a successful pregnancy, I never got to that point because it soon would, you know, not be successful. And then I would have to go through this limbo of weeks or months of waiting for for final answers that this pregnancy was not going to be successful and that we would move on to a DNC and then recovering from that and waiting for your beta to go back down to zero to even begin again and just feeling like you're starting at square one. I always say it's, I was on the, like, it was the worst game of shoots and ladders. Like I just kept, you know, going up to come right back down to start over again. And you mentioned this in the podcast, so I'm assuming I, we can talk about this now. It's so much worse, Tara, because, and I've had this experience myself, when you're pregnant and then you know the pregnancy is not viable, and then you're sitting in a situation where you know you have to be pregnant, but you can't have that baby. I mean, it's yeah. just so heartbreaking. It's just such a unique type of pain. I really think that people that don't experience it they can try to understand, but it really is hard to explain the type of pain that accompanies a pregnancy that starts off with a positive pregnancy test. And then you're told that at some point this will no longer be. And whether it's a DNC or you're taking a pill to start the process of ridding that pregnancy, it is it just seems so unnatural and deeply upsetting emotionally where I just would feel like I was walking through this fog of not really understanding what my life was at that moment. And then to face the fact of the fears you have of what's next on top of already the sadness of losing a pregnancy, it's it's just really overwhelming. And this this world of infertility and pregnancy loss, people don't really talk about it that often. It's not open conversation. So a lot of it you keep to yourself or a lot of it, I feel like at times you diminish your own pain because you think, oh, a lot of women have miscarriages or this just happens. But it really is a loss and there's so much grief and anger and sadness that go along with it. So much. And I think, you know, it, it's really amazing that you talked about that because I think that's an experience that a lot of people don't talk about because it's so excruciating to feel like I'm pregnant and this is what I want. But at the same time, I want it to end so I can move forward because it's just so painful to be in this like limbo. How long can you stay in that limbo? It's just, you know, torture, right? It's awful. And especially, you know, if you're continuing medication, you know that you're continuing medication for no reason, but it's no just reason. to reach these protocols that, of course, you're never not going to do just to confirm, but you're going through weeks of knowing and feeling like something's in you and growing or not growing for some people. But for me, the gestational sac would always continue to grow. And it always felt like something was just that you thought was meant to be is clearly not going to come to fruition. So there is this feeling of just wanting to start over and to have closure. And I I talked about that in the podcast. I, I would yeah. look forward to the DNC day because- yes. The two weeks prior of being in limbo was awful. And there's, you know, emotions that come along with the DNC or however you're losing the pregnancy. But for me, there would almost be relief of getting out of this 
uncertain space and, and period of time. It's so painful. It's so painful. And then when you start over, you have to start over and you're glad to start over, but you still have this pain inside of you. And like you said, you have like PTSD now, right? So now you're moving on to the next cycle and you still have this pain inside of you and you still have the loss and you still have the grief and you still have the people who maybe got pregnant when you were starting your journey and they have their one-year-old baby and, you, you know, and how do you just continue to to go on. I mean, and at the same time, Tara, you and Todd so bravely talked about your differences of opinion and how how it's very typical that men and women experience this differently. So you have that going on at the same time. And you guys were amazing in in communicating and really trying to get to a better place together. Yeah, because, you know, it's hard to always have the same opinion about something, especially as emotionally charged as this. And whether it's IVF failures or starting cycles or, you know, making big decisions or pregnancy loss. And, you know, for a while, Todd and I weren't on the same page. And I really wanted just to keep going and get to that finish line. And he felt that his life for five years was so turned upside down that he wasn't even sure he wanted children anymore. And I think that it really is hard on relationships, on couples to to navigate all of these feelings and to also explain feelings that you don't even understand yourself. You know, I'm sure he mm-hmm. was probably so lost at how to really support me during my first miscarriage when I didn't even understand what these feelings were. I didn't even know how to process them. And then he's watching the whole journey from his perspective and and probably doesn't even know what's coming next or how to support me or, you know, it's just, it really is difficult to go through whatever infertility journey you have. And especially if it's a prolonged one as a couple, because, you know, it's just natural to have different opinions or feelings on things. Yeah. And very often men kind of deal with things as they hit them. They say, when there's a problem, I'll deal with it. And the women right. very often want to know what's around the corner. And, and what worry, do I do? And that was right. me. I was the worrier. Yes. I was the overthinker thinking ahead down the line. And Todd would, would process it and deal with it of, oh, it's going to be fine. And it was just hard at a certain point, especially with our journey when I started to really understand my body. And through these pregnancies, when he would have a lot of hope, I started to immediately recognize that deja vu was happening again and my hope would be out the window. And that was very hard to be on different pages like that and probably see your partner feeling like they've already given up, but it's like I already kind of knew. I knew what to expect and all my pregnancy losses were the same. So for me, it was a lot of PTSD that is associated with going through four identical pregnancy losses, which has put me now at the place where I'm terrified to even try to get pregnant naturally. My doctor goes with me the other day of, oh, are you just trying? And I'm like, no. No way. I I never want to set myself up for another miscarriage. And you become a little jaded. And yes, I know it's a possibility. You never know. And there are those miracle stories that just happen. But I'm also realistic and also been through so much that I don't want to set myself up in any way to experience that. And especially now that we have, you know, faced one surrogacy and, you know, we'll, we'll do another one as well. 
There are so many people out there that struggle and troll the internet trying to find the right ways to build their family. They're looking for a donor or a surrogate or a clinic, and it's so hard to find the right information, particularly when you're stressed. It's hard to think clearly about the decisions that you're going to make. How do I know that? Because I've been there myself and I've worked at some of the best fertility clinics in the world. And through my experience and seeing thousands of patients, I've learned how to cut through the noise and give patients the answers they need to their most pressing issues. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a therapist, a researcher, an author, and I am passionate about helping people find a better journey to parenthood. I created the Center for Family Building to help people understand how to make decisions, not just for the short term, but for a lifetime. We have group counseling, individual counseling, couples counseling, and lots of other services that can help people find the answers that they're looking for. Just take a look at our website so you can see a few of the thousands of people we helped build a better path to parenthood. The decisions you make are too important to leave up to chance. Arm yourself with the right information. Take a look at our website and sign up for a session with one of our therapists, join one of our groups, or access one of our programs, and you will quickly see why our strategies are so effective. Now back to our episode. So are you thinking about that now? Yeah, we are. We, I mean, for me, again, it, and I always say this because now I, I have Georgie, I have our daughter, and I... And she's so beautiful, Tamara. Well, oh my gosh. I'm looking at her pictures on Instagram. I can't stop looking at that gorgeous little face. She's such a smiley little cutie, but, yes, you know, beautiful. I do feel like I identify more as the person from from the last five years. So when I see my daughter, I'm so, so grateful, but it never is lost on me of all the people that are currently still in the struggle and in the battles of infertility and IVF and pregnancy loss that I feel deeply for them and, and, and hope that they find a path like we did, or at least find peace or know what their next step in the journey is. Maybe it is leaving IVF or leaving the journey to to move on to a child-free life. And that doesn't mean that that's not a success story in itself and, and what you've learned throughout the process to know how to take care of yourself. But as I move into this second journey, it's not like, oh, I, I have a daughter, everything's great. I'm still moving through this in a, a way that for me, the a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. We have you know quite a few embryos on ice. And when I say we have seven embryos on ice. People, oh, oh, that's great. And I, in my mind, I think I lost six the first time around. Right. Yes. So for me, it's really terrifying to think about what could possibly be our next journey. So just trying to take it one step at a time and know that we're so grateful for even getting to this one stage with Georgie that that really is, I think, just filling our hearts with so much gratitude, but it doesn't take away all of our yes. baggage and trauma. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. It doesn't take it away. And also it doesn't make it easier now because, you know, we do have research that shows that even women who are going through treatment all over again, they can feel the same longing as people who start just with their first child. So people right. think, well, you've got one already, no problem. You should be happy. Well, just because I'm happy for number one doesn't mean I'm not also at the same time anxious and worried and upset about right. number two. Right. You have those two feelings at once where you are so grateful and it's not lost on me that 
we could have gone through the journey and walked away with zero healthy pregnancies, but we have had one. But I think it's like secondary infertility or anyone going through a second or even a third journey. You know, you look around the world and people are having three children and building the family of their dreams. And just because you have one doesn't mean that you have to give up your dream of Right. Of others. I talked to so many women through DM now from the podcast. And, you know, I talked to someone who was was wanting a third child and is really struggling through that and just how alone she feels to speak out about how she feels guilty. She has two children and so many people think like, oh, it's fine. But she really, really wants to experience yes. a pregnancy again and to have a third child. And I think it's probably hard for people to understand that, but you know, I'm not there, but I think that it's true. It's true. You're full when you're full. Yes. Full, <laughs> full, full is different for yeah. different people, right? Some people are full with one child or right. no children or three children, right. but until you're full, you're not full, right? right. You, you can't ever totally let your hair down. And it's also hard for men to understand because it's not quite the same for them, but right. you can't ever totally let your hair down and say, Okay, I'm done. I can relax now. Put my feet up. No problem. Yes. We've got we've got this, right? You're still, you know, it's still tension filled. Even though right. I have to say, I was really moved by Todd saying he would howl to the moon for you on the yeah. podcast. It was really fabulous. So his heart's in it, but it's still hard. But men don't go through it in the same way. They don't have the same experience. It is different for them, and it is hard. It's, it's just personality. Like he just doesn't worry in the same ways. I'm sure when we start yeah. the second journey, he'll be like, oh, it's fine. We you got know, this. In my right. mind, I'm thinking of all the reasons why maybe it won't be fine right? and what that will look like. So, you know, I think in any partnership, it's you really have to voice your opinions and make sure your feelings are validated because whether you're on the side of worry or on the side of not worry, you've got to make sure that your partner feels supported. That's very nice, Tara. That's very sweet. It's very sweet. And at the same, it is, it's so nice for you to also appreciate his point of view when you're kind of sitting in this driver's seat. And I think for women, they do. And they typically are the ones who talk to the doctors and make sure the appointments are working out and make sure the surrogate is happy and make sure that everything, right, the agency's on board. Yeah, all the details, all the details. And it's hard not to, and especially if you're going, you're the one going through treatment, you're the one that's getting scanned constantly, you're the one that's going in for appointments, and there's just a lot more to do. You're the one that's getting the shots. So I think it's, and it's probably hard too for your partner to figure out where to step in or how to help, but there's a million ways, and I talk about them all on the podcast. So hopefully, mm-hmm. I always love the messages where people will comment, oh, my partner's listening, and I feel like this is so healing for us or so good for us and they're understanding my feelings a bit more. So that's always nice. It's so true, Tara. It's so true because there's so many people and I'm sure a lot of physicians have told you that very often the husbands will say, I don't get it. Why are we in such a hurry? Or why do we have to have another cycle now? Don't worry, we've got this. Yes. And sometimes the doctors have to sit the husbands down and say, listen, this is what you need to do. Right. And I think, you know, for me, time was always of the essence because we were starting later in life. And thank goodness we started when we did because we went through so many unexpected, you know, why we named it unexpected, but so many unexpected times and obstacles and failures that if we didn't start then, I don't know where we would have been now. I say this, you know, in the podcast as well as 
women's reproductive health isn't talked about enough. I really didn't know much about my fertility moving into IVF. And unfortunately, there is a a timeline on things and you want to get started as soon as you can because you never know what is in store. You know, we were able to make embryos, but we couldn't keep pregnancies. So then we have to kind of start over and make more embryos. And all of these things take time and energy and all of a sudden a cycle's canceled for whatever reason or it starts late. And I just always remember thinking, wow, IVF, you think, oh, I could do 12 retrievals a year and 12 transfers and you really can. And especially if you had a miscarriage, that could throw you back six, seven, eight months. So time really gets eaten up. And things come up, like you talked about discovering the endometriosis. You thought it was from the ice skating accidents, right? right? That I mean, that was unbelievable. Yes. I had no idea. You know, I struggled with this. I, you know, we joke about it being butt zinging pain, but I didn't really have any other traditional endometriosis pain or heavy cycles, um, cramping. So I never connected my pain to endo. And I just dealt with the pain that I had. And finally through IVF, it was discovered that I had, you know, pretty bad endometriosis and that had to be taken care of. I had to do two surgeries for that. I probably need one now because of all the treatment I've done since then. But it's incredible that for for a woman with endometriosis, it takes almost 10 years to get a diagnosis, which Again, if you're looking at your fertility years, 10 years is a long time to take out of that time frame. So you want to make sure that you're on top of all of these things. Right. And so you're trying to let people know that this is so important. People really need to get on it. Even if their partners are saying, don't worry, we'll be fine. It's really important to get on it. It really is. I think that you know, obviously everyone has a different timeline, but the sooner you know what you're working with, the better. Obviously, like I said, it's not even just about the IVF process. It's also from my experience, finding out if you could carry a pregnancy because I could have gone through my retrievals and then waited. And if I had started it much later, I wouldn't have known that I had issues carrying a pregnancy. Right. And do you mind telling us a little bit about that, telling everyone a little bit about your surrogacy journey? So we started that last year and it was a decision I made after the fourth miscarriage. I had two miscarriages within about three months and this last one was physically exhausting. And afterwards was the first time I started to just think a little bit about myself, which is, you know, when you're going through infertility, you're just thinking about a potential baby and you'll do whatever, take whatever medicines they give you to get to that point. But this one was physically taxing on me and I was bleeding for quite a while, which then I didn't realize I was anemic. And that was why I was feeling so um, unbelievably fatigued. But I'm almost glad it happened because it was the first time where I started to think about my own health and realize, oh, I could just keep pushing and doing this, but let's hope, you know, I'm not doing anything to my body while trying to do this. And it just opened my mind a little bit to, I was so hell bent on trying to get myself to a live birth through a successful pregnancy so that I can experience pregnancy for, for nine months. And I realized the charm of pregnancy had already worn off through all of this trauma that I was dealing with through these pregnancies. And did I really want to be pregnant anyway? Was it going to be fun for me after everything I had been through? And then beyond that, even if it was, 
I was so hung up on my own experience that I was holding Todd and I back. You know, it's been five years and we still didn't have a child in the house. So that coincided with when we finally, we had kind of been tested for everything from my doctor. She's like, I have tested you more than any other patient. And we could not find anything wrong, nothing wrong with anything. And which, you know, that's when a lot of people will then go to that final last resort of testing reproductive immunology. And that kind of coincided with the the results of that coincided with my, because we had done it for the miscarriage before with the results of my immune testing with Todd. And it just, not to get in the weeds, but it showed, it was the first test that came back with, you know, alarming results of Todd and I's genetics were just incompatible. And that can happen with many people, but Mm -hmm. some people's immune systems won't react in the same way. But unfortunately, my immune system would fight these pregnancies when it would recognize my DNA in the embryo, but not my husband's. And I, you know, looking back now, I would get rashes during every pregnancy. So there's a lot of things you could do when talking. We worked with Dr. Vidali to get these results. And, you know, there is immune therapies, therapies, medicine you can take, IVIG. But again, Mm -hmm. I just got to the point where we were already five years in. My body was sort of slowing down and taking on IVIG, which you know, it's a big it's, undertaking, it's, yes. It's very common and people use it and it's a safe method. But to me, it was a big decision to make. You know, it is obviously you're you're doing blood products yes. infusions of thousands and thousands of people. And I just felt like as safe as it could be, it would still take a toll on my body. And I was just ready to move forward with surrogacy. And my biggest worry at that point really wasn't pregnancy anymore. It was just not losing any more embryos. I just knew that surrogacy was going to be the way for us to go. And did you, through the surrogacy journey, because a lot of people have this experience, feel nervous about your surrogate? Because now every step on the way, Tara, you're like losing more control over this process, right? From the beginning of not getting pregnant on your own to not getting pregnant in the lab to it not working out, to not keeping the pregnancy, and now somebody else is carrying your baby. Did it make you feel more out of control? Were you feeling more dysregulated having the... Of course, there's a loss of control and worry. But at the same time, I think I just became so focused and scared. It was probably the most scared I had been for a transfer because it felt like a very defining moment for our journey of, you know, obviously I was losing all of these pregnancies. We had tested embryos. So likely it was definitely not the embryos, but there was just a, you know, a part of my mind that didn't know what happens now when we put our embryos into a surrogate. And it, if the same thing were to happen, then we're back at square one. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out what is happening and where could the problem be. So for me, that was kind of the most nerve wracking part of it, of if the surrogate was going to miscarry in the same way that I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love to have been carrying the pregnancy or to be more in control. All of those things really fell to the wayside and I didn't worry. I just worried about that positive pregnancy test. And in a way, I almost felt relief that it wasn't my body anymore because mm-hmm. it felt like my body clearly couldn't succeed in these areas. And so it almost felt nice to know that, you know, there, there's a pro <laughs> that mm-hmm. can do this. And Mm -hmm. that maybe this embryo is going to be so much safer 
in her than it could ever be in me. Or at least not without going all these extra miles, right? Doing the IVIG and all those other things that you could have been doing. And, you know, it is true. I mean, women go through fertility treatment for years and they don't even get their checkups or go to their gynecologist. They're like, I can't take, go to one more. I can't even go to the dentist, right? Because no more doctors. So it's certainly understandable that you didn't want to continue with that and that you chose the best and safest route for your baby. But as the pregnancy progressed, were you having any kind of milestones like, you know, this is the two-month mark or this is the three-month mark? I mean, definitely. I think it was just taking it day by day. Obviously, getting the heartbeat was like a huge milestone for us. And that definitely gave me relief. But you know, once you're exposed to the world of infertility and you've done your research and you are part of the community, you know how many things can go wrong. You're no longer in a naive space where many people see a positive pregnancy test and don't get nervous when they show up right. at their appointments because they think I'm pregnant. No problem. Uh, this is a due date and it's just going to yeah. happen. I think I knew and saw way too many stories to know that at every week, there could be a problem that something can go wrong. And and truthfully, even until she was born, I probably started breathing when my surrogate Michaela got hooked up to the heart monitor at the hospital. And that was probably the first time that I was feeling a little more comfortable knowing that we were in a place that they could safely get this baby out. But really, really until she started crying, when she came out, did I believe it or, you know, that anxiety was still so heightened in me. So as much as I've loved every part of the surrogacy journey and her birth, but at the same time, pregnancy, all of these things will never be the same for me from what I went through. So if I'm being very honest, it's not like pregnancy was so exciting or the birth was so exciting. I was... I was terrified every single second. So it was only exciting when they put her in my arms and said, she's okay. Right. So, you know, that's helped me to realize that for myself, even thinking about a second journey, when I wondered if I wanted to maybe try to go through the treatments again, I realized the journey part is not for me anymore. I've been through too much. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's going to be hard even going through surrogacy as it was the first time with all of that baggage I have. So for me, it's really just trying to keep my eye on the end goal on that end prize. And it's been so rewarding with Georgie realizing and confirming all of these feelings that, to be honest, I have regret that I waited so long it was five years, you know? So I wish that maybe I had come to the idea of surrogacy a little sooner to maybe prevent some of the repeat trauma and pregnancy loss that I was experiencing. But it's it's my story and we're here and it took that long for me to get to that point. And, you know, that's why it's unique to everyone and you have to follow your gut and your feelings on on what's right for you and your family. But I've definitely realized through Georgie, I'm not thinking about those nine months much anymore. I'm thinking about this beautiful baby in front of me. So the nine months that I always thought would be so important in my life, which I'm sure are beautiful for many people, it's not consuming my everyday thought about nine months. I, right. I wish I could tell my my past self that. of Tara, yes. once she's here, it's not like you're going to be reliving your third week of pregnancy, you know, you're going to be moving on to this next phase. Well, you went through like multiple traumas, Tara, multiple traumas through the pregnancy and even the surrogacy. I mean, it's trauma after trauma after trauma. 
So I would imagine like when you look at this beautiful baby, I would imagine it's probably like an out-of-body experience, like, oh my God, she's my baby. Every day it is. It really is so, so incredibly bizarre to look at her and to, I almost have to say that it's real or that it's happening because for five years it didn't. And I, I really thought that maybe we were just not meant to experience this and you know, I'm sure, you know, I'm always hesitant to say, cause I'm sure every parent, whether they got pregnant the first time they tried and never had a problem, a baby is a miracle and they are so grateful and their world has changed. And I, I agree with that, but I do talk to so many people in the infertility community that have gone through long journeys, have very similar feelings to Todd and Todd and I do that the gratitude you feel after going through this journey is just amplified yes. every day. And I just look at her and I don't even know, you know, of course there's hard moments in parenting, but I don't even know if I can qualify the word as hard, even though I know I'm physically exhausted or emotionally exhausted. It's, it's amazing. I, I want her to scream in my ear all night. I want right, her to scream right. on me six times a day. Like, I don't care. It's, it's incredible that we even have that that experience, yes. It has been, I think, a really positive part of our initial days of parenthood, of embracing the life-altering change and embracing, you know, the sleepless nights because, you know, you're just so grateful that somehow this just happened. Right. And you got to this place, which is amazing. And it takes time, right, to grieve over any loss. And you've right. had so many losses in a row, you know. Right. When you get bruised in your knee and somebody keeps hitting you in the same place, it takes so long to heal. So even when the baby's there, you can't be fully healed, right? It takes a long time. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And it's also hard too. I mean, I started to experience that through the surrogacy when we would get good news at appointments. It was hard for me to understand it or not to feel anxiety. And I would be like, why am I feeling anxiety? Of course you are. The doctor just said everything's great, but it's just because it was, you know, five years. And sometimes that's what's so hard about IVF and infertility. It just feels like Murphy's law that something's going to go wrong. But for for us, we really, five years of of bad news straight. So it just becomes part of your identity of, oh, this is just us. We get bad news. So. Right. It just doesn't seem unbelievable. And you're always just sort of almost a step ahead playing it through. You know, I was terrified as Michaela was driving to the hospital for for Georgie's birth and waiting for the monitor. You know, I was like crying and upset because I was envisioning what we always used to get of bad news. And it just is, it took a while to, and it's still, like I said, I still just am in awe that this is actually real. Yeah. It's hard to believe, right? Mm-hmm. It's just hard to believe. And it's hard to even live in that world, right? Because you're probably around other moms who say, oh yes, I got pregnant by accident on my honeymoon and whatever. And they have no, right. They have no right. idea what you've been through. And when you look at your baby, it's so different for you, even though yeah. they love their babies too, you have a different ex- background, right? Yeah. It's just so different. And I would never wish our journey on anyone. And I ho- I wish we never went through it, to be honest. But I will say it has helped. You know, when I look at Georgie, it has given me this next level of gratitude that I don't know I would have had if I just got pregnant the first time and I would have entered motherhood. I probably would have been like, whoa, this is a lot. And I would have been thinking a lot about how my life is changing and all of these things. 
was, of course, in love with our baby. But I think now it just is a completely different experience, which is really nice not to have to confront any more feelings. You know, it's right now it really is kind of blissful in the way that we're able to really just soak in every moment. That's so amazing. And so do you feel like there might be things that you'll do differently in this surrogacy journey since, I mean, you can't totally dive in, right? Because you have to be a little bit self-protective, but do you feel like maybe the second one you'll feel a little bit different or have some different feelings about? I hope that the second one is, you know, fingers crossed going smoothly that, you know, I can try to enjoy more of the moments, but to be honest, I'm just wishing that it goes smoothly right. and, and we get, get to the that end. end result. And I don't know how get much- Get on the other end. Yeah. How much pregnancy really excites yeah. me in any way at this point, but I just- I'm with you on that. Hopefully, you know, another journey if that's if that's possible for us. Yeah. And just to be on the other end of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just hope that, yeah, for us- we get to the other side and not never have to think about another embryo or no. <laughs> any fertility treatment at all. Yes. Right. Right. And I guess for everybody out there who's listening, I hope that you feel inspired by Tara. You know, this is incredible. It's just an unbelievable story, Tara. And you are so full of wisdom and hope and beautiful heart and soul. And I appreciate you so much for doing this for everybody. It's really incredible. And, you know, here you have your baby and you're taking the time to talk about this. I'm really grateful. And I'm sure everybody out there is very grateful. So thank um, you. Yes. You are paying it forward a gazillion trillion times. So well, yeah, that's something I always want to say is I'm very aware that I was able to continue treatment and to even have the option of surrogacy. So as much as, you know, we are now parents, I, like I said, I identify and remember exactly what it feels like to be in the midst of these journeys. And I hope that, you know, my work trying to find companies and work with places that will do fertility grants to help other people in the midst of it where they really need these options, whether it's IVF treatments or surrogacy. That's beautiful. That's so nice, Tara. It's really wonderful. Well, thank Thank you you. so much for joining us. And for all of you out there, can people comment on Instagram or some other podcast platform? Tara Lipinski on Instagram. We also have Unexpected Pod on Instagram. I'm pretty active on my own Instagram, but on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, you can comment there. We also have our podcast up on YouTube under Tara Lipinski. And a lot of people, I, I say it on the podcast, to just DM me on Instagram, which has opened up this, this crazy, amazing community of our podcast where I'm able to to be in touch with so many people. But yeah, Todd and I love every week doing this podcast. So it really does feel like even though it's just the two of us, we feel so connected to everyone watching and we're so appreciative of it. Well, it's wonderful. And for everyone who's out there, besides the fact that it's beautiful and inspiring and incredible, it's also so well done. I mean, it really brings, sucks you in. Step by Step is so beautiful. And you open your heart in this podcast in a way that I've just never seen before. It's Mm -hmm. really amazing. And it really helps people hear this beautiful journey from both of your perspectives and from the perspective of the doctor and all of the treatment. And so I really think that it's engaging in every way. And I hope everyone out there subscribes and listens to it because it's a a really 
an amazing gift to everyone. So thank you for coming, Tara. Really appreciate it. Hi, it's Lisa Schumann, just popping in quickly to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please rate, review, and subscribe, because that's how we keep going and come back for more.